we could continue to come up with a perfect idea in theory, but until we got it out there and people using the actual product, we're, we're never going to actually know what worked and what didn't work. No, you can't have supply without demand, demand without supply. You know, you almost need supply to lead demand before you can build a marketplace out in the Uber world. They're very similar here. This is My Product Tested, the show that unpacks how successful founders have tested their way to the top and all the market validation that happened along the way. In studio, as always, from the hype team, Miles Herfak and Cameron Calder, and here in studio this week, Alon Litz and Alan Swyden, founders of the mental health app Panda. These two powerhouse founders have merged business and psychology to form a team that's taking on the mental health crisis one app and store at a time. Elon himself is a top businessman and mentor, climbing through the ranks of Uber from first employee to general manager for the sub-Saharan region, key advisor for companies like Flex Club, Spectra, and Aura. Elon's co-founder, Alan, started, grew, and exited the Kizo Group Psychiatric Hospitals with his background of over 23 years in psychotherapy. This man has put more patients on a Chesterfield couch than a top Joshua Door salesman. Guys, welcome to the studio. Thanks so much for having us. Good to have you with us, guys. Yeah, good to have you guys. Um, so, guys, you, you're now just over a year in, um, growing an incredible business with a huge mission. Um, it's got an unbelievable impact on people's lives. Um, for the listeners today, what is Panda? So maybe before I, I describe what Panda is, I'll maybe take a step back and explain, I guess, what we're trying to achieve at Panda. And I think, I know you guys have got an interest in mental health. I've seen you've covered a lot of great companies out there making an impact in the space. And I think we're all very aware that there's this mental health pandemic out there. And the more solutions that are in market, the better for everyone. Uh, we're approaching the, the problem from the perspective that we believe mental health care is just not ex- ex- as accessible as it should be. And the reason for that is threefold. Firstly, stigma, where people are just afraid to admit that they have an issue, whether that's cultural, whether that's fear of being judged. There is unfortunately still a lot of stigma, which is prohibiting people from getting the support that they need. Secondly, there's a cost element where the cost of treatment is still prohibitive for the vast majority of people. And it's linked to the third challenge out there being people not knowing how to enter the system. And I think there are a lot of complexities around not knowing how to enter the system, whether it's a bit overwhelming, where do you start? Um, you know, how do you navigate the system? Who should you be seeing? Should it be a psychotherapist? Should it be a psychiatrist? Should it be a registered counselor? So we've really seen these challenges and built the Panda app with those three three challenges in mind. So firstly, from a stigma perspective, you can access all the features that we offer completely anonymously. From a cost perspective, we really are thinking about this with scale and cost-effective solutions in mind. Our core functionality is live audio-only sessions. So every day at a minimum, from 10 a.m. in the morning till 10 p.m. at night, we have 12-hour-long sessions running. 
At this point, all those sessions are expert moderated on a wide range of topics. And this is really the entry point for individuals. At this point, it's completely free to join those sessions. And you can join as many sessions as you want um, throughout the week. Um, and it's really about breaking down that cost barrier for people. And we've got a combination of peer-led discussions. So obviously peer-led discussions, the most well-known peer-led support groups out there from a mental health perspective are Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. And there's a lot of scientific data behind the effectiveness of those support groups. So we're really trying to take that concept and apply it to a wide range of mental health topics. Um, so the idea is find a community Understand that I think a lot of people are, are, are sitting there thinking I'm suffering alone. I'm the only one going through a particular issue. And we want to give them access to peers that are facing similar issues. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to hear other people are not okay, but hopefully they can work together towards a positive solution. And then we also have experts hosting discussions where that's more about psychoeducation. So we could have Alan as an example, who's got a um, a lot of experience in du dual diagnosis therapies. So that means someone suffering from potentially depression and addiction. Um, and he could be speaking about that as a topic. That's not therapy. It's opportunity to engage directly with an expert like Alan, understand more about a particular topic. And then if you want to, through our app, you can book one-on-one -on -one sessions. So that's really the core functionality and the core mission of Panda around accessibility. In addition to that, we, we try to offer scientifically validated assessments to individuals. And this is linked to our third piece where people just don't know how to enter the system. What is the severity of the issue that they're dealing with? How should they navigate the system? So you complete an assessment and based on those assessment results will provide you with personalized recommendations. Obviously, those are recommendations. You should contact a GP or a professional if you're seeing one, but we'll try to help you demystify this black box that is mental health and then recommend maybe the forest is a right intervention for you. We also offer other interventions like content, which is articles, activities, and videos. Uh, we also offer text-based chat support, which is a much lower cost intervention. And I think something that Alan can speak to in a lot more detail, but that's with a wellness counselor, instead of going and spending a thousand rand plus seeing another professional like a clinical psychologist, you can see a wellness counselor for 150 Rand for a 30 minute session through our app. So we really think of that as primary triage in the way that you'd arrive at the hospital with a sore leg. Don't go straight to the orthopedic surgeon. You know, you'll be seen by a nurse, depending on the severity. Maybe you'll go to an x-ray. Maybe you'll go back to the nurse. Maybe you'll go to a doctor. Maybe you'll go to a surgeon, but there's a clear triage process. So we're trying to apply the same premise to mental health with this text-based chat support. And then finally, you have the ability to see an expert one-on-one. -on -one. And we've got a number of mental health professionals listed in the app and available for one-on-one -on -one bookings. Yeah, I guess the, the interesting thing there is you speak about accessibility, but you know what we'd love to, and I'm sure you guys will shed light on this, is understanding how those are different weighted in you know the people that you're going after. Because in my eyes, a South African culture is very much focused on, you know, shake it off and get on with your day. It's kind of the the stigma outweighs the actual cost of affordability. Um, and, you know, we've just built a culture over the years of, you know, get on with it. We South Africans, we can, you know, we can handle anything. And, you know, uh, mental struggle doesn't really exist. Um, I'd be interested to, you know, hear more about that. But just looking back at your guys' sort of experience and leading up to, the actual creation of Panda, um, you know, along from 
your experience at Uber and, you know, seeing what uh, a possible toxic work environment can do. And that's not to say that, you know, the entire company is toxic, but a lot of people, you know, struggle on their own in their own sort of corporate bubble um, and, and don't really have a way out. And I'm sure you experienced some of that. And then, you know, Alan, obviously from a personal level, dealing with, you know, so many different people that have the struggle from a mental health and physical health perspective. Um, how has kind of your your guys' experience over the years led towards uh, a panda? Um, maybe, Alan, you can start. Yeah, I mean, you know, what happened during the pandemic is I understood that um, call centers were being inundated with calls. So the, their calls went up like fivefold, sort of if they were getting a thousand calls a month, they were now getting 5,000 and the suicide rate went you know, went went really high. Um, it's hard to find the right metaphor for that without sort of, you know, making it sound tongue in cheek. But the suicide rate went very high. And, you know, in South Africa, we have a suicide every hour. And for every person that tries, that does commit suicide, you have 20 people who, who have a serious attempt at it. So we have, we have a real pandemic. And um, what happened is that um, we, I, I got a call from someone to say, you know, if you were going, if you're going to re-enter the, the mental health industry, you know, what would you want to do? And I said, well, you know, I know that sort of 75 to 80% of these people who are phoning call centers or looking for help never get help because really what happens is that those call centers, after that initial call, spend most of their time trying to find a psychologist, which I just think is just completely the wrong thing to do. Um, and, um, you know, I, I didn't know how to solve the problem. And they said, well, you know, we might want to, you know, if you meet this, this other guy, he might have a solution. And I was introduced to Alon. And really what I understood is that from my um, understanding of the industry and how it works and what people need and when they need it, and with Alon's real incredible gift for being able to to match the right user with the right professional at the right time um, and to build the tech and to understand how to build a two-sided marketplace, um, that if we put our heads together, we could really do something special. Um, and that was really the evolution of Panda. Um, that, that, that's how we got together. I think Alon and I had a meeting of minds from the very beginning um, that we were, that we could do something really special together. And it's, you know, I wouldn't say every day is easy, um, but um, the, the, most of the time it's, it's, it's incredibly stimulating. It's fantastic fun. We, uh, we, we, I think, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting part is when two founders from different industries or different experiences come together and, you know, you kind of share half piece of knowledge, half piece of experience. And you know, I'm sure Alon's given a lot of technical uh, advice over to, to you, Alan. And, you know, you've shared a lot of um, patient advice and understanding the actual user. And, you know, how those come together is just a sort of explosion of a beautiful product that gets born out of this. Um, Alon, how has that, yeah. that kind of business experience led into, you know, the psychological aspect and then, you know, coming out with Panda. Yeah, so I left Uber about two years ago. And yes, maybe an Uber discussion is a completely different one, so not to go down that rabbit hole. But I love my time there, but it was just time for a change and was took a bit of time out, as you mentioned, spent a bit of time doing a bit of tech advisory work. And at that point was introduced to Alan. And I had an idealistic view in my mind that the industries that I wanted to get into post-Uber were either education or healthcare. And I think the reason for that is just that those are two industries that, whether it's in South Africa or globally, just need more innovation. 
Um, and I, I think also given my, my time with Uber, I could see the benefits that technology brought to a traditional industry. And I thought there was a way to do the same thing in both education and healthcare, not knowing how or what it was I was going to do, but just, you know, having that like idealistic North Star in my mind. And to Alan's point, I was introduced to him. Um, I always joke that I've been surrounded by mental health professionals. My mom's a social worker. My wife's a clinical psychologist. Her dad is a clinical psychologist. Her mom's a social worker. So I've seen firsthand the positive impact that they all make on a day-to-day basis and thought, you know, it would be amazing to, to follow their lead and make an impact in that space. Then was introduced to Alan. He's obviously... Uh, exceptionally credible as a business builder. Uh, and I think, Cameron, to your point, he's also um, a subject matter expert. And the way Alan always describes his career, is take, he's always thought about scaling his impact. So starting off as a clinical psychologist, seeing eight patients a day and taking that to the hospital group where they were seeing over 800 patients a day, over 20,000 patients a year. So how could we take that to the next level with technology? And that's really the mission that we're trying to solve here. You know, if it was just about one-on-one therapy, obviously you can reach scale, but you have limitations there. So we try to look at this, the problem with a different lens and try and bring a scalable solution to the table. And I think also importantly, just from a business, like business ethics perspective, way of doing business, and obviously, you know, what's core to what we're doing here is making a positive impact. We were fully aligned. So I think that those are all the things that, that ultimately brought us together. And I think Alan's being yeah. polite. I think I drive him a bit crazy, but I think we, we challenge each other and we push each other <laughs> <laughs> to be better, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be amazing to hear now a little bit more about your growth and what that's been like and follow your journey, you know, from, from this moment. But you guys have been going for a year now. What exactly was that, that original problem you were trying to solve? <laughs> so it's a good question. I think when we set out on this journey, we didn't actually know how we were going to solve it. I think we knew that there was a problem. Um, we knew that it is a super competitive space. I mean, there are, there are thousands of apps out there in the mental health space. And to my earlier point, I think the more the merrier in this case. Um, and I don't think it's going to be a one-size-solves-all, a one-app-solves-all uh, market this. I think different people will benefit from technology in different ways. So I think there is space for a lot of providers to enter the space. Uh, but we started looking at the problem, and I think it comes down to that point around how could we achieve scale. Um, and importantly, so I think there are really two core principles, scale on the one side, uh, just given the massive need out there. And given the point that I think if we're going to enter this this market, we couldn't just try and solve the same problem using the same solutions, right? I think you need to look at bringing new solutions to the table. And look, support groups are not new solutions. Those exist in the physical world on a daily basis. There are probably thousands of support groups happening every day in different forms around the world. We just want to make that more scalable and more accessible through technology. And then the second point is a lot of these assessments exist. We're not creating the assessments ourselves. I mean, these are scientifically validated assessments that have a huge amount of data and research behind them. But again, they're just not very accessible, right? Maybe you complete an assessment as part of your your medical aid, as an example, you'll get a score, and then what? You probably don't do much with it. But there's a lot of rich data and recommendations that you can get from that if it's utilized in the appropriate way. So we're just trying to make those two things ultimately more accessible technology and then help people navigate this mental health system and give them a place to have conversations about mental health. I think part of the problem is, and maybe Cameron, this goes back to your point earlier, I often listen on radio and people are like, we really need to speak about mental health more. 
and then maybe they speak about it for 20 minutes on the radio, then the conversation ends. The whole point about Panda is that you can speak about mental health every day at a minimum for 12 hours a day in the app and find other people and help each other just be more positive and, and move towards a more positive space. I think the problem with social, social media, et cetera, is there's so much toxicity out there, so much negativity you could get brought down. And I'm not saying people need to come to the Panda and have toxic positivity. I don't think that's healthy either. But hopefully they can support each other and help each other cope better and move towards a more positive place. I think there's a lot more to unpack around your stigma point, but I just want to hand over to Alex. I think he wants to say something. Um, no, no. Um, I mean, I think you, you've said um, all the important pieces. I mean, I mean, I, I, I want to kind of segue into a different part of the conversation. So I don't know if I should just do that or if uh, Cameron and Miles, you want to guard the conversation a bit more. Yeah, go for it. Um, but what I also wanted to add is that, you know, mental health in a way is the hardest um, medical sort of field to kind of democratize because it, it just feels like it's it's like the you know it's like so sort of like the, the knowledge about sort of like what is depression what is anxiety feels like it's owned in the hands of these few psychiatrists or clinical psychologists around the world yet everybody feels it right so but but there's it's always been that way it's like you know you, you can sort of you can bring sort of benchmarking into surgery and you can bring benchmarking into treating COVID and you can bring benchmarking into treating so many things but but mental health has stayed outside of that for whatever reason. And at the same time, it's also the easiest part of the medical industry to really kind of democratize because you don't actually need a physical um, evaluation by a doctor. You can actually talk to the doctor and tell the doctor how you're feeling. The doctor can't feel your serotonin levels or, you know, feel your anxiety. It's, it's, it's the way that you can describe it. So, so, what, so what, what that kind of led to is during the pandemic, people moved quite seamlessly almost, even people like myself who'd been in practice for a very long time um, and who never used Zoom or, or any of those other kind of social medias, suddenly started using these, these social medias to, to reach their patients and they found that the experience is actually good enough. Um, you know, and what happened is that um, it, it started to bring technology into this kind of very esoteric industry uh, where it was like one person speaking to another person as you kind of made a uh, um, a, a kind of joke about it earlier on on the couch, and and that's the way we think of you know how psychology should be treated, and yet if you carry on doing it that way, you're never going to reach 85 percent of people who need help, and 15 percent of any population will need help during any one year. So you know you do the maths, it's going to cause massive problems, social problems if you know 85 percent of that 15 percent of any population is not getting any help, and if you keep doing it the same way, you're going to keep getting the same results. So th th that really, it was that that th that that was the question that we needed to solve: is how do you start to reach those people at the right time? Um, and when you started to and, and using technology um, to really kind of leverage um, that, uh, that 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 outreach. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the interesting thing is you have this uh, the stigma problem that's being solved, and then this big accessibility problem, which obviously affordability and then actually, uh, access to education and content is these kind of twofold solution that you guys have. Yeah. And I think the, you know, getting a hold of these uh, vetted psychologists that you can speak to or counselors and having the support is the one side of it. But 
you know, there's so much content available in the world. People are listening to podcasts, webinars, videos. They have their own uh, business work day that they're having. And then they also need, you know, time off and space to create some sort of time where they, they can think themselves. Um, and, you know, as you build out this content, you're then solving a problem of accessibility to content and trying to find enough time in someone's day to then, you know, actually absorb that content. Um, and I think you guys are doing an amazing job to have these different types of content pieces and sections within the app that people can access and they can kind of make it their own. You know, they, they don't have to be forced to do anything. It's not these anxiety apps that are forcing you to ask how you're feeling, you know, every five minutes um, and building actually more anxiety than when you first logged onto the app. Um, but you, you kind of, when you started, um, you know, most people kind of hack together an MVP and put it out there and uh, kind of prove some sort of market validation and then, you know, evolve and build the product a bit further. How did you guys start? What was the, the first sort of iteration of the product and, you know, how did you guys decide what to launch with? So I just want to touch on your point on Steve because I think it's a big one. And we actually having a conversation yesterday just around in how in a lot of South African languages, there are not words for things like depression, anxiety, self-care. So if there are no words for these things. How can people talk about it? Like you can't talk about it if the word doesn't exist in your language. So there's a huge issue around stigma that we have to address. And I think thankfully, whether it's Panda or just people generally, I think there is a shift in thinking and we're seeing a lot of very high profile people speaking about mental health and hopefully that sets a trend where others can follow suit. So um, I think timing is also important and hopefully, you know, as a, as a movement, as a generation, as a community in South Africa, we can move towards making these things less taboo and giving people access to tools that can help them cope. Uh, so I think it's a combination. You first need to break down the stigma, and then you also need to provide the solutions. If you've got one without the other, there's going to, you're not going to move forward. So thankfully, I think we're seeing a lot of things happening in the space that's hopefully going to change this for everyone. Uh, to what we did, I think, I mean, I, like, I think there were a couple of things that I took away from Uber. I think like done's better than perfect. <laughs> you know, um, you can't wait for that perfect solution. I think if you wait, wait for that perfect solution, um, then you'll never move forward. And I think the other thing for us was that we could continue to come up with a perfect idea in theory, but until we got it out there and people using the actual product, we're, we're never going to actually know what worked and what didn't work. So we just wanted to move towards a product that we can put out to market as quickly as possible so we could validate our hypothesis um, that we think that this will work and will help people. Um, so what we did is, I mean, we, we probably started working on this towards the beginning of 2021. Um, and then um, we started developing the app towards the end of June. Uh, we actually started working with a DevOps out of Poland um, who, who did a great job for us. And they helped us get the app up and running on the 10th of October, 2021. So pretty quick from kind of fleshing out user stories, ideas to apps being live in both the app stores. Uh, in some ways, maybe we were a few weeks too early. Like I think there were some bags that existed, but nothing that prohibited us from getting the app out there and launching was an important date for us to meet because it was Mental Health Awareness Day. So I think having that pressure, having that line in the sand was critical because if you don't have that line in the sand, there'll always be a hundred reasons to push it out. It's the same as like, I'm, I'm sure people feel it with exams, right? Everyone like the day before the exam was like, oh, I wish I had another week. 
Radford, you don't have another week, you've got to launch it t- tomorrow is the mm-hmm. bottom line. So I think having that pressure, having a line in the sand was critical. And we've just been iterating and improving since then. I, I mean, since we, I guess, working with the DevOps, we've um, onboarded our own engineering team. We're fully reliant on ourselves right now. All our engineers are based in South Africa. And we're just iterating on that product initially with one-week sprints moving over to two-week sprints right now. Uh, but it's about you know, identifying product features, having a clear roadmap, and continuously improving what we have. Uh, but we're not trying to sit here and, again, create things in isolation. What's working, using data. I mean, we've got a lot of dashboards, a lot of data that we're using. We're using that data to inform the content in their app. We're using that data to inform our user experience, our, our friction. I think we'd love to get feedback from both of you. We try to keep friction as low as possible for those people signing up. Uh, we're also not collecting a lot of identifiable information. We only really ask for your email address, then your age and your gender, and then thereafter you can be completely anonymous. So we, we, whatever we've done, we try to keep that user experience slick to get people experiencing the app, but then more engaged over time. And obviously we can always improve, obviously the things which need to be improved, but it's an iterative process. It's not that we're done, right? We're always hopefully going to yeah. be improving it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's amazing that you, you're taking that into consideration, you know, trying to keep that, that, that process as seamless as possible. Uh, going back to the 10th of October last year, you guys have launched now, uh, you know, you, and, I, and I think we'll get into the adoption uh, of your app in the market uh, just now. But what specific metrics were you looking to measure to prove that market validation? So I think the big thing for us is, and, and Al's alluded to this point, is that what the, the forest is, our live audio only sessions, it's a two-sided marketplace, right? So we, you can't have users without uh, sessions and you can't have sessions without users. So what we are doing is we, we're guaranteeing you that at a minimum, if you get into the app, you'll see sessions happening every day from 10 a.m. till 10 p.m. So that in some ways, and this is where my Uber experience is a bit relevant, you know, you can't have supply without demand, demand without supply. You know, you almost need supply to lead demand before you can build a marketplace out in the Uber world. And very similar here. So um, we've got those sessions available. You can join a session. Uh, the intention, though, with these sessions is not to have one host, right, and one participant. In clear-led discussions, we think the ideal number is probably 8 to 12 people because we want people to be sharing. We want people to be supporting each other. Um, and you can't have too large of a group to do that. So it takes a bit of time to get that scale. So really our number one focus has been on number of users. We just want more people at the top of our funnel, right? Downloading the app and then hopefully engaging with the app on a regular basis. So what are some of the metrics that we're looking to validate is how often people are using the app. I think, you know, we also looked at this and said, okay, what is going to be something for people that gets people coming to the app on a regular basis? And we do think we've got that in the forest where we're seeing on average people entering forest sessions at least four times um, a month. So they are using it regularly. So hopefully you can find those topics that are relevant to you. You can find a group of peers that you identify with, that you learn from, and you can then meet them regularly in the forest and gain new content. I think the beauty of it is that it's quite scalable and this is user-generated content. Every discussion is going to be different. It's not about you know pre-recorded content. It's interactive and the, those attending really guide the way that the conversation evolves. Um, so yeah. that is, if I had to kind of say, what's the North Star's number of users and how often they're engaging with our app. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, 
And then uh, I'm just interested in, uh, you know, what, what were some of the, the, the biggest insights and learnings that you took from, you know, testing the product in the market? Um, and then we can, we can jump into that adoption. You know, how, was, how difficult was it to educate uh, your potential users and really just get Panda out there? Al, do you want to take it or, or should I? I think you carry on with that. Thank okay, you. sure. So I think the biggest insights have really been about when you're so close to the app, right? Like there's some things that you may be blind to, right? And I think a lot of things make sense to us. And I'm like, this user flow is super intuitive. <laughs> um, and then it's not, right? Because we're close to it and we're blinded by it. Um, or we build things in a particular way when we realize oh, that actually wasn't the best way to build things. The best example I can give you around like building things in a particular way. And I think it's also like there's you know, like sunk cost fallacy, right? We, and, you know, being open with you guys and giving an insight into what we did wrong, right? We built our mental health professional funnel and we initially integrated with Canonly to allow for bookings. And it works really well, but there's a lot of friction in that process where uh, a mental health professional has to provide us with an API token to then link into their Canonly account to facilitate the bookings. And in some ways, I think we over-engineered that solution where what we should have done is just um, allowed that professional to give us access to their calendar then facilitate bookings directly in their calendar. So we're shifting to that. Uh, but I think when you're so stuck in the weeds, it's very easy to run in a particular uh, you know, direction. I was using Calendly a lot to f- facilitate meetings i'm like okay well this is a good way to do it well we should have taken that step back and said is this actually the best way to do it is there a simpler solution so really about taking that step back and i think also just getting fresh eyes on what you're doing to my earlier point around does this make sense i think if you're reading something and i'm sending out comms or i'm talking about a user flow in my app and it makes sense to me does it make sense to someone who's not in the weeds in the way that we are so i think those are just two lessons that we've taken away yeah no, it's uh, super interesting to hear that um, you, you spoke about uh, increase, um, increased supply and demand will follow, um, uh, which is not a, a kind of typical uh, business perspective where you're waiting for demand to increase your supply. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting thing here where, you know, you need to find potential interest in the users um, before, you know, you can actually build that demand as well. Um, and then the second thing you said is... Uh, you hired an amazing development team, which is also something we, we don't hear all too often. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so many pe- people waste, you know, loads of cash and, and funding and, you know, end up for you guys to build this product out in around eight months and, and have, that, have that live and have it somewhat successful, even though just like your exam reference, you wanted an extra week to, to push it out. Um, I'm interested, you know, with that sort of hiring and outsourcing and then moving this to a South African dev team, um, you know, Alan, with your experience from, you know, the, the group medical, um, Akizo company that you, you know, grew over time and specifically from a psychological perspective on hiring, you know, you, you're hiring a team that's solving an impactful problem that's, you know, supposedly changing the world and changing people's lives. You know, how important is that, that team and, and hiring the right people? Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, you know, because um, we needed we, we we need believers in the team. We, we really are. We, we've got very lofty goals. You know, we, we when you say we want to change, um, you know, we we, we we want to change the way that people access mental health. We want to be that trusted resource. You know, internationally, we, we have a we have a big 
we have a big plan and a big vision here. Um, and what was happening that while, while Alon speaks glowingly about the Polish team and they were they were fantastic, they were also you know they were that they started work at you know eight or nine on a Monday and they ended work on at four or five on a Friday, and sometimes we would release a version of the app on a Friday and it, there was a bug or two in it and we had to sit the entire weekend not being able to fix that. So we needed people that um, you know that, that really that 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 wanted to build this thing and that were. In, in, the, in their own way, personally invested um, in, in making, in getting it right. And we have that. I mean, I don't know, I can't tell you that, you know, that every part, every one of the developers has shared a personal story about why they feel that mental health is important. Um, but it seems to me that when we all get together and, and we discuss this mission, that they feel invested in it, either from a very personal perspective. And, you know, Cameron, what, you know, if you ask anybody, I mean, I, I get this all the time, but Everybody knows someone who's going through something difficult. Everybody, all of us. Um, and as soon as you open up those conversations and, and you say to you know you say to the developers or anybody else who works in the team, imagine that person was like really close to you and, and you wanted them to be able to be able to access Panda um, anytime to get the kind of help they need. That's what we're trying to build. And when you when you when you start to kind of build that personal kind of investment in it, you, I think we're seeing incredible things happen. Yeah. No, I, I think it's it's so important because everyone has different perspectives. You know, when we building hypotheses in in our team, uh, you know, everyone has different backgrounds. Everyone grew up in different regions. Everyone navigates technology in a different way. And you know, if if Miles and I sat together and came up with every hypothesis on testing a specific website or product, we'd have the same test every single time. Um, and I think it's you know similar to you guys. There's the development team that's you know, their wife's going through a horrible time and or their friend of a friend's going through a horrible time and just speaking at, you know, a bra or drinks and finding that key insight that could potentially change the product is 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 so important and for them to have that value to share it. Yeah. You know, when, when I built up the, the hospitals, um, one of the things that, that I, I think made it um, a bit different is that... Um, to speak personally, I asked my mom to run the helpline because I thought to myself, if someone was phoning and they wanted to get some help, my mother should be on the other side of that line because she'll do anything <laughs> to get that person the kind of help that they need. And she actually worked for us for about 15 years. Um, and um, I, I feel the same way about Panda. You know, if we can sort of instill in the team that if, if someone that you love, you know, is, is, is contacting Panda, who do you want to be on the receiving end of that? What do you want Panda to be able to do? And if you can kind of get people to really think about that all the time, um, I, I think that that you can build something that's you know that's got that X factor that's, yeah. that's beyond just um, you know something that works. That's a really amazing way to, to look at it. It's is to kind of you know bring bring it closer to home and, and think of it from a perspective of if it was a friend or family, you know, what type of experience do you want them to have? Um, you know, how, how, what has your approach been to uh, sort of collecting feedback from customers and, and what does that mean to Panda as a business? So just one point I want to touch on just from a team perspective. And I think it's, I sent an email out yesterday to the team and I think there's two things that team members can do. It's the what they do, right? The impact that they make directly in their day-to-day -day in line with their KPIs. But more importantly or equally important, equally as important is the how, right? How do they go about doing things? And, you know, you have to weigh both of those things up, right? You can't have people who are great at the what and are terrible at the how. And even though we're early stage, we've spent a lot of time on culture 
a lot of time on cultural values and ensuring that we celebrate the values that we kind of set out to kind of lead and live by as a team. Um, so just a short point there in terms of how we're collecting customer feedback at the moment, we've, we've actually spent quite a lot of time at this. I think it's, it's a little bit ad hoc and too ad hoc. Um, you know, we kind of got a, a Google form that we send out to people and then they fill it out and we use that feedback. Uh, but we want to build that into the app in a way that, you know, engaged users can provide feedback seamlessly through the app. And that gets then sent through to our dev team. We can evaluate the, the feedback and then decide what, what is incorporated and what's not. We also want to start doing a better job that, you know, potentially even in, in our app, in, you know, live sessions, hosting uh, feedback sessions with our most engaged users um, where we can get feedback from them around what works or doesn't work, what they'd like to see improve. And then also just spending a time as a team, maybe to that other point where we've built things and then we, we take a look back at them with a fresh set of eyes as a team and say, does this actually make sense? And I mean, we had this realization last week and we're like, this could be a lot clearer, right? So I think, you know, also just testing what you're doing yourselves. I think it's easy to kind of push thing out, tick it off the list and say it's done, right? But it's, you know, you need to kind of like continue to look at it, see how it can be improved. And again, goes back to that earlier point around trying to look at it with a fresh set of eyes to make sure that it is, if you're coming in cold, it is as intuitive as it should be. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's interesting to look at, you know, uh, as you said, we've, we've interviewed a lot of uh, health tech companies over the past couple of months. And, you know, when uh, separate verticals are very competitive, you know, and everyone's trying to uh, build a competitive advantage around features or others are trying to position their brand in a unique way in the, in the mind of the consumer. Um, but when we, you know, speaking from a health tech perspective, you know, brands just like yourselves are putting the, the consumer first and, you know, trying to solve products and differentiate to actually solve a proper problem and, and offer unique value versus, you know, this very high intense competition. Um, is is differentiation, you know, in the marketplace at the moment? Is it something that's on your mind? Is that, you know, when you you're pushing out new features or the positioning of Panda, you know, how is that prioritized? And you know, I'm sure uh, Miles will allude to this shortly, but you know, building up to your product roadmap and what you prioritize and where the features get released, how how does that whole process look like? Yeah, so. <laughs> I guess like competition is great. I think like to your point, I think competition ensures that the consumer wins, which is the best thing for the market. I think does competition or what others are doing kind of inform what we're doing? I mean, I think you need to be aware of it, but competition doesn't dictate our strategy, right? We dictate our strategy. I think we need to build things that we know work for us and work for those using our app. And I think, again, going back to that earlier point, it's not a winner takes all market. I think different people, you know, cope or benefit or engage in different ways. So I think there's a big enough market for a lot of players. Um, and I think we're just out there kind of trying to achieve the mission that we've set out to, right, which is around accessibility, breaking down those barriers and being able to give people the right care at the right time. So those are the things that we're focused on. Um, and, you know, building features that enable us to deliver on that mission. And if we do that well, hopefully the people will come and the users will come, right? And I think we've got a lot of things that we're doing. I think like ideas at the end of the day, I think one thing we've been taught, yeah, ideas are commoditized, right? Um, and anyone can copy an idea. A lot of it comes down to execution, speed to market and team, right? Like if you don't have those things, you can have the best idea in the world, but any, anyone can copy an idea. I think it's, you know, how, how do all those things come together? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, in, in that sense, uh, 
people aren't a company's best asset, the right people are. So having the right team, you know, will, will, will get you furthest. Um, you, you guys might not be able to share too much with us, but uh, what is the what does your product roadmap look like in the near to, to distant future? And, and how are you prioritizing your feature releases? So in terms of product roadmap, I think if I, if I speak at a high level here, I think like, you know, how do we prioritize? A lot of it's just, you know, linked to impact and effort, right? What's going to have the highest impact and what will require the least amount of effort? Obviously, that's the idealistic thing to put at the top of my list, but it's usually high impact, high effort things that we prioritize. Um, so what is that at a high level? I think firstly, it's just improving the user experience, right? Just with little things in terms of the, the, the app flow in its current form. As I said, I think there are some things in there which we thought were intuitive, which could be more intuitive. So how can we improve that? And then the, sec- the second piece is, you know, at a really high level is linked to gamification, right? We want to gamify the app experience, not in a way hopefully that bothers you or gives you more anxiety, but keeps you engaged and takes you along a journey to help you find the right care at the right time. So how can we do that in a way that, you know, makes this black box that is mental health um, a less scary road to embark on is really the intention. Yeah, no, it's epic. The um, just want to finish off uh, before we end here. It's, um, you know, it's so interesting to see a different shift in mindset over time from, you know, when you guys have this idea that you spoke about and then, you know, right before you're briefing the developers, there's this, you know, undeniable confidence in the product and idea that you guys have, um, you know, and Alan, you coming from, you, you know, this uh, somewhat of a, a corporate, you know, healthcare, big business where, you know, there's loads of hospitals and carers and then, you know, learn from this sort of big startup with loads of funding and now you guys are moving towards, you know, this startup and then kind of starting all over again. Um, Alan, what has the shift in mindset been like, you know, from where you, you kind of first came up with the idea and then, you know, started to actually launch the product and to where you guys are now? What, what does that look like? Um, I, I think, um, I hope I'm going to answer this, the question in the way that you're asking it, but um, I think the, the interesting thing about a startup is, is how do you maintain the creativity and the busyness that a startup requires? Because a startup has no momentum. There, there's, no, there's no other people driving you and you, know, you have to kind of turn out a product. You have to create that momentum yourself. Um, and how do you do that while at the same time building processes for the future that you can then start to scale, that, that everything doesn't become that you throw another person at the problem or that you, you, know, you, you solve every problem in an ad hoc kind of way, but that you start to systematize it, even sometimes while you don't actually know that that's the, that's the best system. And I think that you know, the experience of working with Alon um, has really kind of helped me to bring those two things together because I never thought about those things consciously when I was building up the last business. And it was really only when we started to kind of think about selling the business that I started to think, how do I explain this business to other people? Um, whereas now what we need to do, if we really want to go into new territories and want to really scale, we have to get it right from the beginning as best as we possibly can. And I think that's the thing that we, that's, that's the constant balance in a startup that has big ideas is, is how to, you know, how to keep that creativity while building out the systems at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And Elon, uh, just from your sort of, Uber experience down to, you know, new startup trying to, yeah, just as Alan said, you almost, you wanting to build these processes, but you don't have anything for the processes to fit into yet. Um, and, you know, trying to, to build while, 
you know, the planes flying is a whole different story. Yeah, so, so I always describe Uber as like startup for dummies, right? I think it was a startup, right? And we're kind of building the brand and the business from day one in South Africa. But there were a lot of things that I didn't need to worry about, right? Like biggest worry for a lot of startup founders is funding, right? Where I knew that that was taken care of at Uber. Yeah. Um, so it made my life a lot easier, right? So I think like the first thing is that startups are not for the faint-hearted, right? They're tough. I think you've got to have like self-belief. I think... Uh, you know, it's a roller coaster, and I know maybe these things are cliches, but it really is. There are days when I'm like, what am I doing, right? I could be doing things that are a lot easier than what we're trying to set out to do here. And there are other days when I'm like, I think we're onto something. This could really, really scale. Um, and it's just managing that range of emotions and I guess having your North Star and believing in yourself and having uh, a, a co-founder and co-founders and teams around you that can support you. I think that's important. If you try to do it by yourself, you can't, right? And I think, like, you know, the support of family and friends also also really, really critical here. So um, I think it's just that self-belief is that one thing. And I think, yeah, I mean, just acknowledging that it's going to be hard. I think if you kind of come into it knowing that it's going to be, well, thinking it's going to be easy, it's not. And it's it's probably going to just, you know, derail you and you're not going to want to continue down this journey because you just got to keep on getting up every time you kind of fall off where you think you need to be. I think, like, yeah, Alan's point is, I mean, we're tight on resources. If we don't do things in a scalable way, we're never going to be able to deliver on everything that we need to, right? So even if they're little things that you can do from a process perspective, that takes something down from like 10 minutes to two minutes because you've got a standardized template and approach, you should do those things. Um, you know, team meetings are also another big thing. I mean, I think part of the problem with corporates is you land up being in meetings. You've got 20 people in a meeting. That's 20 hours of people's time that you're taking up. Right. Does everyone need to be on that meeting? Right. Does it need to be a meeting? Can it be an email? Can it be a Slack message? Right. How can you be as efficient with the team's time as possible? So I think there's a lot. And I think it's, it's one last thing that I'll say is, and I think my team probably hates me for saying this almost every day, is that the only constant is change. Right. That you need to be ready for change. You need to be ready and embrace the ambiguity that comes with the startup world and pivot the business and be dynamic how you approach every day. Yeah, I guess the nice thing about the roller coasters is when you have that dip, you can log on to Panda and, and bring <laughs> yourself back up to baseline. Exactly. exactly. Guys, thank you so much for your time. I've really appreciated it. You know, we, we yeah. are always appreciative of having amazing, you know, top founders like you guys on the call and, um, you know, offering your humility of bringing in the rawness of, you know, what you guys have been through to date. And um, we'd love to have another episode in, you know, six months, 12 months time when you guys have evolved the product a bit more and had a couple more roller coaster dips that you can share with us. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for, for joining us today, guys. Awesome. Thanks so much. It was great chatting. Cool. What do we think? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, very relevant platform and product that they're getting out there at this time, uh, and they're only a year in, and it looks like they're, you know, established themselves as a as a really healthy, good startup uh, in this type of environment. And I just hope that the adoption and the education you know, continues to go really well for them, because I do think that, uh, you know, I personally obviously believe in in, in Panda as a as a 
as a service, you know, um, even even less of a product, you know, it's because it's it's serving people. So, yeah, super keen to follow their journey and, and hope they make a, a really good success of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see how they. Uh, I mean, they have loads of features and loads of pro- product offerings, um, and as you say, loads of services. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see over time how, you know, they are pretty new, newly founded with mm. six months, seven months in, um, I'm interested to, you know, have another conversation in six months, 12 months time when they've kind of felt the water a bit and, mm. you know, kind of seeing which of their features is actually landing and which ones are, are really valuable for the users. Yeah. I mean, to just kind of finally tune it from here and see, you know, maybe, maybe, hold off on the features that aren't being used as much and then spend, uh, you know, focus so much more of that dev time into the features that are getting used daily and weekly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and like you say, you know, they, they testing the different markets with the different features and with the different growth strategies. Um, and, you know, like we spoke about in our previous episode is you kind of, you're testing markets, then you're testing features to fit the markets and then you're testing growth strategy to fit the users that fit the market. And, you know, I'm interested to see, I definitely think they, they're going to move fast. Um, Alon and Alan seem like really top founders that, that are, are seasoned in the, the business world. Um, so I'm interested to see how that kind of overlays into their, their startup world. Um, but guys, thank you so much for another episode of my product tested. Um, that was Alon and Alan from Panda the mental health platform that's really trying to impact and and change the world for for people's lives um we'll catch you guys next week for another episode cheers for now